All right. Welcome, everyone. This is now the fourth episode of Destructuring Tech, the podcast where we focus on unpacking the complexities of tech and software into simpler topics. Last week, I was very fortunate to have both Scott Ertmer and Will Mitchell on the show, both talented staff from the Turing team, uh, talking about their experiences of getting into front-end development, how they have transitioned across different tech stacks, and whether or not front-end development is the right environment for you if you're looking for a challenge and wanting to get the most out of programming. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. You can always catch us on YouTube for the stream or listen to our podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. But just as a reminder, if you do catch us live, you can be a part of the conversations in the chat and even ask the guest questions. Last week, we had a ton of fun with the comments in the chat, and I hope we can do that again. I want to appreciate everyone that is watching, be it live or catching us at a later time. The support is always appreciated. But y'all know what time it is. I'm the host, Travis Rollins, and I'm one of the instructors at the Turing School of Software and Design. And I'm super excited to be joined by our special guest, Jeb Forbes, on the show. Jeb is a software developer at Turbine Labs and uh, was also just a great friend I got to work with back in 2019 at Turing. So 1903 alumni. Shout out to that cohort, by the way. Uh, such an amazing group of people. Um, but hey, how are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing great, Travis. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, 1903, I think historically, just objectively, was the best uh, cohort to go through Turing. Yes. So just yes. put that on the books. Yeah, a, write that down. It's a everybody. secret, but yes, yes. I think it's in a, a secret, couple of weeks. Yes. No, it's not a secret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's out there now. It's um, out there. Yeah, it's actually. Out there. In a couple of weeks, actually, we got uh, Taylor is going to be joining us too. So. Oh no way! Oh, yep, yep. It's going to be great. it's going to be great. So, um, but yeah, did you do anything this weekend? Did you have a good weekend? Do anything fun? Yeah, you know, I live in uh, I live in Denver, uh, kind of uh, western Denver, Sloan's Lake area. So I was just mm -hmm. doing dad slash yard stuff. I rebuilt a door. I did some cabinetry. I did some painting. I mowed. Oh, I was just like blowing leaves. Yes. You know it's it great. Yes. That's awesome. That's great. How about you? What was your weekend like? Uh, you know, nothing too fancy. I was not doing too much dad stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, spent some, I'm not, I'm not quite, you know, on the same level as you, Jeff, you mm -hmm. know, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, caught up with some family. It was my sister's birthday last week. So oh, had a, had a great time with her, uh, just hanging right. out. Um, I went up to, this has always been my thing. I always go up to the, the animal sanctuary. Have you ever been up there before? No. This is a it's a it's a sanctuary where they kind of like rescue animals, including like uh, tigers, uh, lions, hmm. bears, wolves, all types of things. And hmm. great walk, super open area, great for the animals. So a lot of fun. Maybe something to go check out at some point. Cool, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, I know we got a lot of great topics, but want to get to know a little bit more about you, Jeff, especially for our listeners here. Um, sure. So you've worked you work at Turbine Labs. Uh, I do. How long have you been working there for? Oh, geez. Great question. Let's see. August 30th. I started uh, January 13th, 2020. So it's been just over a year and a half there. 18, 19 months. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And what, what is your company? What does your company do? Like, what's like their product that they're creating? Yeah. Great question. So um, we actually started in the journalism space, um, but uh, we've kind of pivoted a number of times when we've noticed kind of holes in the market. And so now uh, kind of our, the main thing that we do is we kind of curate executive level business insights for large, large medium to, to large organizations. So we have a machine learning and AI platform that uh, ostensibly reads like 13, 14 million different tweets, blogs, articles, journal entries, blah, 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 comments, etc. a day. Um, uh, does some um, NLP on them, uh, does some um, rating of, of how relevant it is to certain topics. So a company comes to us and says like, hey, what do you think about the, you know, Nike theoretically could come to us and say, what do you think about the shoes we just launched? How is it, yeah. how is it working for people? Like what, what's kind of the, the hubbub? And uh, we Very just cool. give them super detailed reports on what those kind of things look like. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like uh, one of the big, you know, 
puzzle or pieces to the puzzle, right? To making all of that kind of work. Um, what are you allowed to share? Like what kind of like which companies you actually work with? That's a great question. <laughs> I think we can. I think we can. I'm pretty sure we can. We, have, we or... advertise. We advertise to people when okay. we get when we get some of the the, the big dogs. Like um, you know, like we work with we work with Amazon. Uh, we worked oh, with cool. Motorola in the past. Um, some Tesla stuff, things like that. Um, yeah. So you know, some of the larger uh, kind of international organizations will come to us if they really want like a really heady, really detailed analysis and a bunch of like really good business insights as to how to move forward and what's happened in the past and so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's sweet. That is, that is yeah. really, really cool. So I appreciate you sharing that. But um, <laughs> yeah, well, well, again, secrets in, in case that, yeah. that doesn't. I think yeah. it's fine. I think it's fine. If not, you'll see me applying for jobs tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, we'll edit it out or something. There, so. Yes, good. Uh, smart. Yeah, smart, smart. <laughs> Um, well, last question, you know, on that, like, um, what, what kinds of like technology are you kind of working with at turbine labs? Yeah, great question. So, um, our tech stack is, I think pretty cutting edge. Um, mm -hmm. we kind of, you know, split most of our, uh, technology between front end and back end. Our front end stack is React, uh, TypeScript, uh, Apollo to deal with uh, kind of the GraphQL uh, API connectivity. Um, we use um, uh, something called Storybook. We have our own um, oh, yeah. component library uh, that we use styled components with, and we use Storybook to kind of play with those styled components and make sure they interact the ways that we think they're supposed to. Um, sure. So that's kind of the that's kind of the front end. Um, doing React, you know, at Turing, uh, yeah. we we learn a lot about React, uh, but doing TypeScript TypeScript has been really really cool. That's been um, this, that's been a huge boon to kind of my own personal uh, learning, uh, and then. Um, the back end, uh, our API is built uh, with Elixir. Um, we use a bunch of really cool um, uh, kind of database technologies and libraries that Elixir has for, for playing with uh, relational databases. I think um, we use Postgres for that. Uh, we use uh, Elasticsearch for like our really highly cool. indexed searchable stuff. Um, we use Kubernetes and Docker for not only development, but for um, de deployment and management of all our containers and our application containers and things like that. Uh, we use uh, some machine learning. We do some AI stuff. And all of this is on a team of, there's, you know, there's only seven of us. Wow. So it's pretty cool that we get to, to, to dip our hands into all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. That sounds like a lot. Um, did you just it like pick it all up at once and you just kind of like, yeah, you know, you like 24 it? hours and I was like, easy peasy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So my, my personal journey, so I was front end at Turing. Um, got I got to, um, benefit from Travis's brilliance and his, and his teaching when I was there, he taught me a bunch about everything to know kind of about react in the front end. And that's actually how I started at Turbine Labs was uh, on the front end. I did exclusively TypeScript, React, Apollo for probably the first, probably 12 months for the first year. Okay. Yeah. And um, I started getting a lot more interested in some of the back end stuff. Like, you know, some of the, some questions that kept coming to me were like, it, it feels weird to ask someone else on the team, like, hey, can you add this single in, you know, line to this index for me so I can not be blocked. And it takes them three seconds and then bada bing, bada boom, you're done. I'm right. like, why can't I just do that? Or like, <laughs> hey, like what is the data structures that you're building on the back end um, yeah. so that I know how to build the front end stuff? And then even vice versa, like they should be complementing each other. And, you know, if you're building front end UI UX and, and designing that, you should like be really thinking deeply about how you want to structure your data on the back end. So I was like, I kind of feel like I want to start touching both so I can really move across both of those lines. Um, and so at about 12 months, 13 months, I was like, can I like kind of dip my toe into some of the back end stuff? And they said, yeah, sounds great. Why don't we help you do that? And yeah. that's what I've been doing kind of full sack stuff for the last seven, six, seven months. Awesome. 
Well, yeah. that is super cool. Yeah, I, I think it's always important to remember, like, especially, you know, getting into your first job or anything like that, like, it doesn't mm -hmm. happen immediately. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. even those expectations, like, you know, first few months, first three to six months, I'd say, like, it takes a while to kind of get used to it and kind of just get yeah. used to all the, yeah. So oh, it's yeah. a lot, but it gets there and uh, you grow. And, you know, obviously with yourself, like, uh, I think you were telling me last week you just finished up a your your first like full stack application, right? I did. Yes, <laughs> uh, it was uh, on our application ourselves. Uh, uh, our, on our application itself, we have a number of high level kind of like routes that you can navigate to to do some you know high level building of of these deliverables that we have. Yeah. And uh, I got to design, build, implement, test, deploy. Uh, an entire full stack uh, project from all of the backend stuff, you know, designing the actual data structures and creating the tables and uh, making schemas and running migrations and you know writing change sets and validating information all huh. the way through all the GraphQL stuff. You know what do I really need to? surface for the client side how do i surface it what's the what's the most intelligent way to do that how do i make it performant if somebody wants an association from this to this how do i really like make that call in my database quickly and then all yeah. the way to the front end stuff like what do i want the buttons to do um do i want to use a modal for this or do i want a new view um hmm. what happens if i you know, want to validate some front end stuff and just make sure like things are looking good there too. Um, and then how do I take these back end data structures and apply them beautifully to the front end? Yeah. Um, and we have some amazing designers who helped me through that and some amazing front end minds that just like really helped me blow through the kind of front end stuff as well as back end minds that helped me kind of do the back end stuff. But yeah, it was called, it was called, I added buckets. 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 We got what buckets is, now. What's a bucket? That's a great question, Travis. <laughs> I'm glad you asked me. I'll tell you what a bucket is. A bucket is exactly kind of what it sounds like. It is a container for you to dump shit into. So when our data journalists and the people that are making uh, kind of the, the really strong insights that we deliver on these uh, things that we give people, um, they are in our software and they're looking at all of these recommended articles and tweets and blog posts that our machine learning and AI present to them. And if they think it's good, if they think it's bad, they can mark it so in our UI UX, if they wanna keep it and actually add it to deliverable, they would mm -hmm. chuck that thing in a bucket. And then when they actually go to, to, to create that deliverable, whether it's a text or an email or whatever the client wants, um, they have that bucket available. They have all the things that they dumped in there that they just basically copy pasta in there, add some insights, and it's good to go. So it's really buckets were created to connect the experience of our data journalists with the massive uh, kind of data and analytics that we actually have on the back end for them to just re get it really fast, store it, and get it back when they want it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, that's super cool. Uh, major congratulations to you on that. Thank that you. Is, that is awesome. That's a huge win. Thank so, Thank you. well, cool. I want to keep talking about that, but there's, you know, there's again a lot of things I want to cover. I think, you know, it might be helpful just to kind of start from the beginning again, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned, you went through. Uh, you went through Turing, uh, that was, you know, two, two and a half years ago or something like that. Uh, yeah, what? holy shit. <laughs> right? Right? That's crazy. Um, what, what kind of like, what kind of got you into mm. wanting to do software development? What, what were you even doing prior to that? Yeah. So I, uh, finished, uh, I got my graduate degree in sociology of religion in 2012. And okay. I was actually pastoring uh long story we can talk about it over beers one day but i was kind of an i was an atheist pastor which is okay. weird i get it but <laughs> lots of family of origin things kind of came sure. together and launched me in that direction so i was pastoring and i really i actually loved it i i loved almost all of it uh, i loved doing kind of the the mentorship 
the pastoral care. I was working with a lot of like low income folks, uh, people who were struggling with drug addiction, with being underhoused, people struggling with homelessness. Um, a lot of students kind of near that poverty level as well, getting them the books they need, the food they need, enrolled in classes, things like that. I just loved doing sure. all that stuff. Um, but after a while, it was just like, it's so much to take on some of those responsibilities um, when you have a family. Uh, and, you know, it's like, it's dark to see some of the stuff that the world creates. And sure. I, I wanted to figure out a way that I could still like be involved in lives and bring something good to the fore, but also not maybe just be kind of ground level um, and like boots on the ground. And um, I had a friend who did not go to Turing, but went to a similar kind of boot camp um, who had been at that point been a developer for three or four years. Okay. And uh, he told me, you know, he's like, I think you'd love this. I think you'd be really good at it. It's something to look into. And so I, uh, I looked into it and I thought it looked cool. And there was a cohort that was starting in a week. And somehow I applied and they let me take some tests and fly a little bit behind the curve and get into 1903. Yeah. And I started and then the entire experience was just mind opening about how, you know, when people think about like software engineering or computer science, they think about like, well, I don't want to be behind a keyboard all day and I don't want to see people and I don't want to like, it's so boring. And it's like, yeah, I'm behind a keyboard all day, but I'm literally like solving real life problems yeah. with creativity, thoughtfulness, insight, and just I happen to do it instead of like in English, I do it in JavaScript. Right, right. But it's like different I'm, language, but still doing yeah, the different thing. language, same kind of same kind of thing. Like, how do we bring insights? How do we bring integrity? How do we bring um, analytics? to these organizations, to these people, um, to these companies, to these nonprofits? How do we like, how do we like give them things that are actionable that they can work, they can like bring into the real world and do good things with? Yeah. And I was like, oh shit, I'm doing it. Great. Yeah. And I've loved literally every minute of it since. And I think a lot of that has to do with software development in general, but a lot of that has to do with like my team too. Like, I just want to shout out to my team. I have a phenomenal team, people with five, 10 years experience who are willing to pour into me, who are willing to teach me, help me understand more deeply what's going on, who are fun to be around, who are thoughtful, who like we hang out as friends. It's crazy. Like that doesn't always happen, but I feel like that does happen pretty, pretty consistently. And in software engineering and software design and development. So, you know, thank you, Turbine Labs. I love being there. I think we're cranking out dope stuff and I want to keep, you know, let's keep let's keep building together. So, but all of that like came together and that's kind of been the last year and a half for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I'll be honest, I think to this day, you know, I've been teaching at Turing for a few years now and don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure I think you're one of the first people that like had the background of, of, of being a pastor, you know, and then getting into software development, which is it's just awesome. I, I think it's really cool. And like hearing hearing that story and hearing the like connections, like it makes sense. But yeah. um, it, I, I definitely think it's a, a first and, and maybe an only. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. But Who knows? Very cool. Who knows? Very cool. Yeah, thank you. Well, um that's awesome and yeah cheers to uh you know the people that you get to work with uh, that's that's really exciting to hear i think you know with anything that we do you know the environment the people really makes a larger part of the experience uh no matter what yeah. you're trying to do so um that's great it's terrific so um well, i have a couple more questions you know yeah. relating to this turing experience uh, mm -hmm. you know i have i have students right now and you know i think that's very easy to get overwhelmed there's just it's a ton of stuff to learn at turing um i'm curious for you what was like you know out of all the things and this is a big question but you know what's what was like maybe the most like important or interesting thing that you learned while you were in that program and hmm. how did it kind of impact your uh career mm -hmm. yeah that's a that's another great question it's interesting because 
Turing um, gives the gives the educational background and um, um, building blocks that you need to succeed at learning front end or back end, right? Like Ruby for the back end, I believe you get, we're still kind of like a Ruby, Ruby yep. first yep. Job, JavaScript on the JavaScript and React on the front end. Um, but I think maybe the thing that I learned that was most important was not actually related to software com concepts themselves. Mm. Mm. Um, while those were incredibly important and still are incredibly important, I think like like Turing has figured out how to not only like build the conceptual stuff, but also build out the interpersonal stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. there's no projects really other than maybe the first one. I don't know if you guys have dog party still. Uh, no, which... that's been gone too. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> so yeah. for those of you who don't know what dog party is, dog party is literally a, single HTML page static. Here's some dogs. Click on a dog. <laughs> I don't even know if anything happened. I don't remember. But it's literally yeah. just a static page with yep. some dogs and some dog info on it. Like the most basic <laughs> web page you could ever make, that's dog yep. party. That was, we did that on our own. And then after that, it was like software engineering is not done in a bubble. Mm-hmm. This is not going to be an experience where you uh, just like unplug and just like code. I mean, there are definitely days where I do that, right? Because sure, sure. There's deadlines, or I know what I'm doing, and I don't need a, I don't have a ton of interaction. Um, but Turing taught me that like software engineering is and should be done together with other thoughtful, intelligent people who are also buying into the mission and vision regarding whatever thing you're designing together. Um, and not only that, but like, you're going to also butt up heads against each other and you're going to, you're going to like talk toughly with one another sometimes. <laughs> and sure. you need to learn how to do that gracefully and you need how to do that well, and you need to learn how to listen and you need to learn how to form critique and criticism in a way that's like helpful. Um, and this is true with a lot of professions, but I think maybe more so this, because like you deeply need to be on the same page about what your end goal, your MVP, whatever you're striving for together is. There's no like rogue rangers just doing whatever they want generally. Like we need to discuss what's going on, how we're doing it, how we're doing it together. And I think fundamentally, I think that was the biggest thing that Turing taught me. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting. And I think you 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 pointed it out. Like there's a stereotype of like programming. You're just kind of like, you know, uh coding by yourself, just hammering it out. And it's it's a one person team, but uh there's a lot, there's a lot that has to be communicated. And mm -hmm. uh to your point, like uh having multiple perspectives on things, like it's it's just it's great to have that because you may not be the able to catch all the all the things right oh, yeah so, mm -hmm. um yeah, yeah i i still remember yeah. like my first my f one of my i think mod two mm -hmm. i think it was mod two but uh i was in a group of three three total two me and two other folks and we had our first like merge conflict on github <laughs> yep and holy shit, Travis, like it took us literally like four hours to figure that thing out. Yep. And because we, and if we weren't together doing it, it would have taken 20 hours to figure out right. what the problem was. <laughs> and like, yep. for me, that was such an eye-opening experience of like, I can't, dude, I cannot, I literally can't do it alone because there's too much to do. Yeah. Um, yep. And I can't do it on a team in my own bubble because right. you, you just, you can't like, if you don't communicate, too much is gonna hit hit just gonna bang into each other and you're gonna get nothing done. Yeah. Yep. And so that's what so much of what my memory of Turing was was like, no, how do we do this on a team? Team of two, team of three, team of four, it doesn't matter. We're yeah. here until we're done and we're doing this together. Let's hunker down. Yeah. Absolutely. And 
that was that was amazing and as and has journeyed with me throughout my professional experience as well i was gonna say i'm sure that wasn't the first nor the last uh merge conflict that you ran into so it was not <laughs> no nope. oh, God. yeah yeah yeah. Well, awesome. I, I, again, I appreciate you sharing on that. Sure. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think the reality is like career changes. I, I've had a couple people, you know, talking to me about career changes and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it can be very scary. Uh, mm -hmm. and I think, I think it happens at different points, but I think it can take a while to get that confirmation. Like when mm. you get, when you dive into it, uh, it takes a while to get that feeling of like, yeah, I, I, I did the right thing. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's scary again. Like, you know, there's a the money, there's a the hard work that you endured. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's all these questions of like, was it worth it? Um, mm -hmm. when did it finally like officially like pay off for you? Or when did you kind of feel like, yep, I, that was the right thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great question. Uh, yeah, that is a great, question well let me let me first start by saying this and i've told you this before but mm -hmm. and i've told my wife this before every day when i wake up i get my three and a half year old up and i make coffee okay. for my wife and i and i literally tell her the same thing i say oh sweetie holy shit! <laughs> can you believe that turing worked out for me yep. um like I still, I wake up and I like thank my lucky stars that things went so smoothly and beautifully for me that I had my Turing experience and then I found Turbine Labs and they found me and it's just been amazing. I am, sh I am still, I'm shocked that <laughs> I am where I am and I know what I know and I can build what I can build now on a team of amazing people. Like it blows my mind every day. Um, but there were definitely times in what we call mod five, for those of us who, who have not been through Turing, um, there are four modules at, at Turing um, and each one builds on the last. And after the fourth one, you, you graduate and you go out and you try to find work. But there is something called mod five. And I believe you guys still have mod five. Is that correct? Yep. Yep, we do. Okay. Where you... Uh, still are kind of together and you're doing job searches together and you're trying to keep each other staying positive and things like that. Um, and job and, and, and mod five. And I tell this to all my kind of mod four mentees, but I'm like, mod five is dark. Mod five is dark because all you think about is, did I waste my money? Did I do the right thing? Am I ever going to get a job? Everyone's telling me that they're so worried that things are saturated. The market is saturated. And what, uh, what have I done? I've wasted the last nine months. Let me tell you, they were telling me that in 1903. Let me tell you something else. I think they were telling that to students in 1701 and 1609 and 1602 sure. and so on and so forth, all the way down. Um, it, it seemed to work. And statistically, it seems to continue working. So yep. I'll say that. Um, second of all, personally my like return on investment has been crazy like who 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 do you talk to and this is not true for everybody but this is true sure. for a lot of people who do you talk to that they're like hey travis i love my job and the people i work with and i get paid more than i should <laughs> like who, not, who like yeah. says that nobody yeah. says that but that's like kind of how i feel <laughs> yeah a yeah. lot um and you know, like, yes, you're going to spend some money. It's not cheap. You're And you're going to do this thing and you're going to spend emotional capital. You're going to spend time. You're going to spend energy. You're going to, you're, it's going to like bankrupt you in a lot of ways. It's going to feel like, right? Yep. Yep. But once you get out, once you get out there, once, if you do your due diligence, you like work hard, you do the thing, like it seems to pay off. I don't know how it seems to work. <laughs> um, but for me, I think like that realization where like finally, like I was like, oh my God, I made it. I made yeah. it yeah. was, uh, I think probably month five, month five or six, okay. where our uh, senior front end developer, uh, his name is Taylor. He's amazing. He's taught me everything I know about like modern React, uh, functional components, TypeScript, 
um, like everything you need to know, this guy has like patiently sat down and dealt with my bullshit and, and taught me about. And I think it was it was like month five or six, and he's like, "Hey, we need." I don't even remember what it was specifically, but he was like, "We need this thing." Yeah, and he was like, "Do the thing." And I remember being on a Zoom call with him and being like, "Okay, I'll do the thing." And then I hung up the Zoom call and I was like, "Okay, so that means I'm gonna have to." Bippity boppity boopity bippity, and I just started working, and I was like, oh, "I did it. Did I learn how to do the thing?" Right. <laughs> I know the thing, and it probably wasn't even that complex, but it didn't matter. Sure, sure. Because finally, I had arrived at a place where, unknowingly, I had been you know drinking from the the fire hose for five six months, and everything through Turing, everything through my first half a year clicked. And I was like, I know exactly what I have to do. I know exactly how I'm going to do it. Now I'm going to implement it and get it done. Mm. And it was amazing. It was amazing. And I was like, I learned a thing. It all worked out for me. And I think um, secondarily, that was the first experience. The second experience was about two-ish months ago. Okay. Um, when, uh, and my, my business, my cohort at, um, at turbine labs knows this, my okay. boss knows this, everyone knows this. I ostensibly got just offered a job out of nowhere. Hmm. Yeah. Like someone's like, I heard about you. I heard you're great. Do you want to work here? Here's more money. Mm. And I was mm. like, do you want to like talk? They're like, mm, we don't really have to. And I was mm. like, Oh, I could be terrible. Um, but I knew the people who were there and, what was going on. Um, but I was like, I remember saying to myself, like, that sounds great, but I'm just interested in seeing what happens with where I am. I just love it. And that was like the other confirmation. I was like, okay, if things go South, if like I need to move somewhere or, you know, something happens at turbine or whatever, like I now have enough experience where I can pretty solidly just kind of find work and it's not going to be a huge, scary, um, you know, blood pressure, heightening, fear-inducing, anxiety-creating experience. I could probably just, like, apply a couple places, and I'd probably be good in a couple weeks. Yeah. And that feels, yep. re- that feels really good. It feels really, really good, especially as a parent and a husband. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Job stability with the family, especially yeah. during these times, right? Like, just super, uh, yeah, really... Yeah. Great feeling. So yeah, um, that's awesome. Yeah, I you know I, I it's interesting you mentioned like 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 almost these waves kind of like happen for you and like I feel the same way. Like I, I went through touring. I don't even know how many years ago, four years, five years ago, whatever mm. it was. But um, si- similar feeling of like you know whether it was getting my first job or coming back and teaching at Turing, uh, you know, just like the environment people that I get to work with. I just feel very fortunate and it's been a very, very different lifestyle. I mean, I was a musician yeah. before all of that. And, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> the lifestyle of a musician also. Mm, yeah. It's, you yeah. know, you're making it month to month. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, very, very grateful. So, mm. well, cool. Um, trying to think we, we've got so many other topics. So, uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit and, sure. Uh, you mentioned you've been like learning this uh, new language Elixir uh, on top of all these other things like GraphQL yeah. and Kubernetes, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Was this so? You you mentioned like you you started out um, focusing more on front end. Was this was Elixir like something you knew was going to be like? Was that a part of your initial application, or is that like something you learned more about when you like joined the team and you you started mm-hmm. taking on some more full stack things? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was applying to front end jobs. That's what I was. Yeah. I was a front end developer. That's, that's all I knew. I didn't, you know, yeah. I didn't know anything really about the back end. Gotcha. Um, and it really just was something that just started interesting me more. Once you start like building out experience on the front end, 
um, mm -hmm. and getting to know really how React works and JavaScript or TypeScript and how to you know manipulate data on the front end and how to display data and how to conditionally render things appropriately and how to test for edge cases and do all that stuff. Like once you kind of get in the flow of that, uh, for me at least, the next logical question or interest for me was like, okay, like this is what I am learning how to do with the data that's given to me. Yeah. Like the API, I ask the API for stuff and it gives me stuff and then I do all this cool right. stuff with it. But yep. like, what is the stuff? Who's making this stuff? Why is the stuff the way that it is? What if the yep. stuff was different? Would I have to think about it differently? Um, and those were the questions that I was kind of asking myself. And we already had our API kind of, when I came on, um, the, uh, the engineering department was probably only about a year old, maybe nine months okay. old. Yeah. Something like that. Sure. And so we had already, we started kind of building out our API and, um, you know, doing all of our data crunching and analytics and things. Um, but I knew, I knew nothing about Elixir. Uh, I just yeah. knew that that was the name of the language that we used. And I knew no right. other language either, like JavaScript, like people say TypeScript's kind of another language. It's it's pretty much the same. You just got to tell it what kind of thing is going to be in the thing. Right, um, right. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I, hadn't, I was not applying to places with Elixir. Uh, we were just using Elixir, and I started asking maybe some higher level questions. And I was like, I would yeah. love to learn. I, got, I think I got to a place, mostly because of like Taylor, I got to a place where he uh, kind of imbued and imparted on me m most of the fundamentals. And I was like, yeah, I kind of like get the basic building blocks mm, of JavaScript yeah. slash TypeScript slash React. Like I get it. Like there's so much more to know. So I do not feel like I know everything or even <laughs> like 50 or 60% of everything. Um, right. But I know enough to like get it, right? To build yep. stuff and do it properly. Yep. Um, and so with that, um, came some of these higher level questions and kind of like, you know, I would love to learn more. Like maybe I could flex a little bit and learn this new language. And fortunately my bosses said, that sounds great. Why don't you do that? So yeah, I didn't know anything about Elixir before, um, but yeah. it was what we were using. So you yeah. have to learn it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's really cool. I mean, I think there's always that, What's great is if you can keep that interest and that excitement, right? Mm -hmm. As you're programming and you're learning new things, uh, I think fall, you're falling into the trap if you like get comfortable with it. So yeah, yep, no, yeah. preach it. That's one thing I I think I have learned, and what I continue trying to tell people is like you, if you're ever comfortable, you're probably in the wrong spot. Mm -hmm. um, if you feel like you've learned, you like, you're like, yeah, I know. <laughs> JavaScript, right? <laughs> uh, you pr actually probably don't, but you know you might mm -hmm. know enough to feel that way. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're not like wanting to move on, yeah, like you're you're gonna stagnate, and that's gonna yeah. be reflected in how much you enjoy your job. It's probably gonna be reflected in your paycheck. Uh, it's probably gonna be reflected in how well you do your job, things like that. So I just wanted to, especially like early in, in one's career, first couple of years, like, hey, if there's people who want to, who know stuff, who want to teach me stuff, yeah, I'll take, I'll take that. Absolutely. Are you kidding me? Like yeah, these are absolutely. these are the formative years, right? When you're starting out. So, right. But yeah, yeah. I've I, I knew nothing about Elixir. Uh, I dug really deep. I actually got a learning spike. I got like a two week learning spike where I just like literally watched YouTube videos and built shitty little Elixir apps. And like, I built like a hello world Elixir app. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, did all like the classic, you know, YouTube tutorials and code Academy tutorials and oh, cool. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Did funny. it feel easier? Like that transition, like having learned at first, like, <laughs> Having learned JavaScript and then moving to Elixir, mm -hmm. did it feel easier or? That's a good question. Um, I think so. I think probably, I mean, it has to be. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, yeah. the answer has to be yes, because like, you, you know, if you learn JavaScript, you now know what a function is. Right, right. If you, yep. if you don't know any programming language, what is a function? <laughs> uh, you know, you learn JavaScript, you know what a variable is. If you learn JavaScript, you know what 
primitives are and complex data types are. You, you learn about arrays and objects and sets and weak maps and maps and all of the cool things that have come out in the last couple of years. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think it was, I think it had to be easier, but it, it felt difficult. It felt hard yeah. um, because I think it's not a similar, it's not a similar language at all. It's, it's mm. incredibly different. Um, even at its most basic foundational inner workings of like, what is Elixir good for is a completely mm. different answer than like, what is JavaScript good for? Mm. And so seeing that makes you go, oh, oh, you have functions, but they work differently. They do yeah. different things. And I need to think about things, t functions, and how they work totally differently. But yes, it's called a function. You know? Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> what, what is, you know, high level, because I'm sure this could be like a whole nother lesson, like Ooh. we could be here for yeah. hours, but yeah, yeah. what yeah. are, you, you said like, there are things that it's like good for in, in some yep. scenarios, right? With Elixir mm -hmm. versus JavaScript. Mm -hmm. What is that? Um, what like high level, you know, and what are yeah, some like yeah. some, like main differences between the two? Yep. So Elixir is pretty new, but it's getting a lot of popularity. Um, I believe Discord's backend is Elixir. Um, there's a number of like big big dogs that are doing kind of Elixir backends now, but uh, Elixir is ostensibly just kind of like a a, a language built on top of uh, Arlang. Do you know Arlang? Have you heard of Arlang? Oh. Oh. It's short for, I believe, Ericsson language, which was this, it's like a 40-year-old yeah. language built by Ericsson huh. Mobile, or oh. Ericsson before they were mobile, back in the day, yeah. um, also called uh, OTP, that is basically like was designed fundamentally to solve um, connectivity and continuity problems. Like if 100,000 people want to call each other at the same time, that's going to break a server that's not prepared for it. Sure. Sure. And so um, uh, Arlang is built to handle um, hundreds and thousands of tens of thousands of, um, of parallel um, um, actions or jobs um, or agents or whatever um, processes basically so like if you want to in javascript for example if you console log 1 through 50 and then directly underneath it you console log 51 through 100 and you print sure. that to your console you're going to get 0 through 50 and then 51 through 100 right right um elixir is set up so that if i inspected those same ranges of numbers i could start two different processes and those processes, if they were running in parallel, which is very easy to do, and you can get thousands, tens of thousands of these processes running in parallel, hmm. what would be printed to the screen if you if you console log, uh, so you IO inspect the same thing, 0 through 50 and 51 through 100, you would yeah. literally see 0, 51, 1, 52, 2, 53, because they are running in parallel with each other and printing That's out cool. next to each yeah. other. So if you have high-level calculations that you're doing that need to be sent to another process for analytics, that need to be sent to another process that's also currently running, doing your machine learning models, that also needs to be sent to the server to, to, to be you know, dumped into the SQL database that needs to be then da-da-da-da-da, and this and this and this, and this job is crunching, and this job has this, and you need them all to talk to each other, that's what Elixir does. Really cool. That's I imagine it takes cool. takes more like performance to like do some of that stuff. Or um, is that I might be like totally saying the wrong thing? But is this does that mean like uh, Elixir is like more like multi-threaded as opposed to JavaScript being a a single yep. threaded? Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah, JavaScript is single threaded uh, except for like the event loop, which we could also talk about for <laughs> yep. hours. And yep. asynchronous functions is not actually single threaded, but it's non blocking and whatever. Um, but yeah, yeah, but JavaScript can do some stuff. Yep. At the yep. same time, one or two, yep. three, four, five things. Yep. Um, Elixir is in deeply, incredibly performant because it can do 
10,000 things. Yeah. Very cool. Without, without even thinking about it. Um, sure. Honestly, without sure. even heating up. Just yeah. crazy. It's bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's funny. You know, you, you mentioned, uh, I was just looking at the chat uh, and I think you mentioned Taylor a couple of times. I think Taylor's actually watching. Is it Taylor? Taylor? Hi, Pigeon? Taylor? Yeah. 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 He was asking, asking almost the exact same question about, you know, uh, between Elixir and, and, you know, pairing it to JavaScript and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Super interesting. Happy to yes. have you here, Taylor. Yes, so. Taylor. Welcome. Thank you for teaching yes. me about TypeScript. 100%. Right. Yeah. So many cool things. So, uh, yeah, you're teaching me. This is this is now you like giving me giving no, back the no. times when I taught you in Turing. So this is the, great. Um, the student has become the teacher. <laughs> exactly. Oh exactly. Oh absolutely. My oh, my <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, awesome. There's, you know, I want to get into this, uh, like, kind of like last topic here. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned like, there's this kind of difference between like high level languages, yeah. low level languages. Um, yes. Let's start out with the the first first one. You know, like JavaScript is is known as a high level language. Yeah. What what does that mean exactly? Yes, great question. This is something that I talk about with my mentees a lot because you know JavaScript is a very high level language. It's you know one of a handful of probably the highest level languages. And yeah. when I think about high level or low level, um, generally my brain goes to level of abstraction. So the, the, the lowest, most base level for me is like machine code. And that is literally the zeros and ones that are entering your CPU or any sort of your GPU or whatever processor that you have and yeah. doing the, the things. It's rendering to the screen. It's making calculations. It's saving things to memory. It's recalling things from memory. It's doing all those things. It's literally like zero one zero 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 one zero one zero one zero zero zero. Yeah. And the farther you get away from that, uh, and the closer you get to ostensibly English mm -hmm. uh, is the movement away uh, from concreteness to abstraction. So for me, the closer a language is to written or spoken, and in this case, English, I think, honestly, all mo most or all programming language languages are in English, which is crazy yeah. and weird. I'm sure there yeah. are some, I haven't looked into it. Um, but the, the, the farther away it gets from zeros and ones and the closer it gets to a spoken language, a spoken or written language, if you can right. like look at a language and be like, oh, this does blah and function to add two to number. Oh, um, right, right. The, the higher it is on the abstraction ladder, uh, I, I would qualify it. So like, yeah, JavaScript is like one of the closest languages to just English. Yeah. Python yeah. is very close to, um, but yeah. So when, when, at least in my context, when I talk about a, a high level language, that's what I talk about. A high level language is a language that is farthest away from hardware and mm -hmm. closest to speaking, reading, yeah. thinking in your native language, um, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Um, and it's interesting. I think like the, these layers of abstraction keep getting added over and over. You yes. see it with frameworks, we see it with yes. languages. Yes. Um, and it's like, you get to a point where it's just like, oh yeah, it just does this thing. But like yep. what's happening behind yes. the scenes, yes. it's tricky. It's sometimes tricky to really understand what's what's working there. So yes. um, yeah, well, I think, so you've been learning some low level programming, you know, there's lots of high levels like JavaScript, yes. um, mm -hmm. Ruby, Python, C Sharp, yeah. all these yeah. things, right? Yeah. Um, can you tell us like um, what like, what what things have you been doing specifically around low level programming, or what yeah. like what languages are low level, right? Yeah, that's another great question. So if you go to Stack Overflow and get involved in arguments on there, which I've been reading the last six months, uh, yeah. people will tell you differently. They will tell you any programming language is actually a high level language, but there's kind of a range in high level languages between like super high level and like lower level. So like you got your your family of C, C, C++, um, 
those are going to be like lower level, high level, lower, okay. lower level, high level languages. <laughs> JavaScript yeah. is going to be a higher level, high level language. Um, you get under programming languages, you start having things like assembly. Uh, you start having things like bytecode, which are still human readable, okay. uh, but they're just super confusing. Like yeah. you wouldn't, at least I don't know about you. I would. I look at assembly and I'm like, I don't fucking know. Or bytecode, I'm like, I don't know. It's not zeros yeah. and ones. It's not zeros right. and ones. It's English. There's some English in it. Ish. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's not like straightforward kind of like what's going on there. Um, so gotcha. those are more like the, some people have coined like medium level language. Mm -hmm. So like C, some people called C and the C family, C, C and C++, the medium level languages. And that, of course, is what like the interpreter for JavaScript in, in Chrome, V8, is written in. I think most interpreters are, except for there's actually one written in Java. There's actually another one called Narcissist. Huh. N yeah, Narcissist. That's written in JavaScript. Really? The JavaScript interpreter engine is written in JavaScript. Look it up. It's called narcissist. I gotta look that up. It's huh. I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I think the I think the last ad to it was like 10 years ago on GitHub. Oh, so okay. I probably don't use it, but yeah, uh, anyway. yeah, don't use it, but something to look into. <laughs> Sounds um, like a bad we, idea, and obviously it didn't go through yes, very long. Yes. But. <laughs> but we don't we don't actually use uh like either mid-level or like low-level, high-level languages at uh, Turbine Labs. Um, we don't use any C. Okay. Um, we, we really use TypeScript, i.e. JavaScript, and then uh, Elixir, some Python. We have some Python scripts for our machine learning and AI stuff. Um, gotcha. But where those things come in handy is understanding fundamentally what you're not doing in JavaScript. What you cannot mm. do in JavaScript. If you were writing an, an application in C or, or C++, um, and you say, oh, uh, hey, you know, in JavaScript, you're like, let A be assigned to an empty array. Right. And you're going to, because you're going to pop some stuff, you're going to push some stuff, you're going to mm -hmm. unset mm -hmm. and set, or no, you're going to shift and unshift some stuff in there, right? Yep. Yep. Um, yep. That's all you have to do. That thing is declared, it bought a bing. Uh, memory is allocated, you're good to go. You can keep programming. Uh, in C and C++, you have to say, hello, uh, C or C++ compiler, I need to allot enough room for an array. And it's like, cool, what kind of array? And you're like, uh, a contiguous array, not, a, not like a linked list. And it's like, okay, how big? And you're like, I don't know. And it's like, no, hmm. how big? And you're like, hmm. uh, 50, a hundred, like you, you have to deal with ideas of creating memory space and allocation for your variables. Yeah. How many yeah. bytes do I need for this number? Well, is right. it floating point or is it an integer? How many, how, how much do I need to allocate for this contiguous array? Well, how long is it? Uh, maybe I should make it a linked list because if I do, it doesn't need to be contiguous. What happens mm -hmm. if I declare a variable in JavaScript and then I don't use it? Nothing. It gets garbage yeah. collected. Thank you, yeah. JavaScript, for doing that for me. Or rather, I should right. say thank you, uh, JavaScript interpreter, for doing that for me. Yeah. Um, you don't have to, like, at some point be like, also, after this function, this won't be used, so clean it up. And yeah. Get it out of memory. You don't have to deal with any of that stuff. So mm -hmm. what low-level concepts have been teaching me about JavaScript is to appreciate and to really think through like what's actually going on under the hood. And if I actually know what's going on under the hood, can I actually make things more performant above the hood by uh, like implicit doing things implicitly differently? Because I can't mm -hmm. explicitly do something differently. I can't garbage collect something somewhere. Right, but I can so. implicitly think about my data structures differently. I can think about how I look things up differently. I can think about where I use huge, beefy, chonky variables yeah. and where I don't use them so that it can be garbage collected quickly and not have to take up more memory than it needs to, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I, and I appreciate like that context of like how it makes an impact. Because like, I could see the argument you know, from some or some who hasn't haven't had experience with this, like, why do I need to know that if JavaScript's already handling it for me? Why? What's the purpose of it? Right? Um, it already does it for me. So, yeah, I, I think that's I think that's interesting. Um, I'm curious. 
and I hate to put you on the spot, but just kind of hearing you talking <laughs> about that. Sorry, but um, you know, when could you give me like a specific example of like when that has impacted, like that knowledge of you know memory allocation and, mm -hmm. and cleanup and things like that? How has that like impacted like something like the way that you architected something or the data yeah. structures, like you mentioned? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Absolutely. So. Um, one thing that Elixir does beautifully that JavaScript does not do beautifully mm -hmm. is something called data immutability. And uh, ostensibly that just means like, if you make a variable in Elixir, you say like A is assigned to 10, and then you say B is assigned to A, and then under that you say like A is reassigned to five. Okay. Um, Every time you declare a new variable, even if you're assigning it like an old value, mm -hmm. um, you are unable to change the actual value of that variable. It looks like you're reassigning it and sure. you think you're reassigning it, but what's happening is you're just making a copy of it mm. and assigning the copy of it to the thing. Gotcha. That way, like, you literally can't mess up any of your data because it's immutable. You can't change, you can't pop something from an array. You can't add something to an existing array. It will literally, Elixir will copy the entire array, make a new one and push it in huh. for you. And that's your new array. And because of that, um, your data is inflexible. Um, you can't accidentally change things behind the scenes, but you absolutely can in JavaScript. We have we have we have a variable declaration called const, which I'm sure a lot of your students have either learned so far or are going to learn soon. Yeah, const people talk about it being immutable, and it kind of is, it kind of isn't. It's really more of like a read-only type of declaration. Right. Um, but you can still mutate data uh, a second level into. Uh, any sort of const declaration. Let's say you have an array of like four numbers. You can mm -hmm. still add things to that array. You just can't change it from an array to an object or change it from an right. array to a string, right? Yeah. Um, so JavaScript is not immutable. It's highly mutable. And it's mutable in ways that don't make sense sometimes. So I spent literally, and thank God Taylor was there, uh, and another one of our front-end developers, Caleb, because he also sat down with me to help me figure this out. But I literally spent eight hours one day, a full work day. Sorry, uh, Josh, my boss. Uh, that's what I did that day. <laughs> um, I was passing a complex, uh, I was passing an array of complex objects as filters to a modal from its parents' yeah. uh, React component. And in the modal, I was like playing with stuff and changing values and things like that. Mm. But I never, not once, took that, took those values and then reset state with those values. Gotcha, yeah. I said, like, if you hit cancel, even if you play with it and you hit cancel, don't update state. Just have state be its original state. And like nothing ever happened. But yeah. every time I played, uh, in that modal and hit cancel, everything I played with still got updated. Yeah, which is yeah. not supposed to happen. You're like, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't use the dispatch set state action to update state. You should right. not be updated. And it right. literally took me a full day to figure out. Well, that was happening because while you can't, you can't mutate the array into a different data type or whatever, because that reference is immutable the reference to that mm -hmm. first layer the references to everything inside is absolutely mutable yeah and so it made me uh, elixir learning elixir uh and this is the last thing i'll say made me fundamentally reassess how i build components and manage state in javascript because it forced me to say to myself Am, am I, where am I manipulating things and how am I doing it? A, and B, should I just straight up make a deep copy of this thing first so that ostensibly it will act as though it were immutable because it's not, the references, if you deep copy it, the references are cut to that 
original one. This is a totally right. new one. You can play with it all you want. You can still update the old one with the new, new one you want, but you're not playing with your original data, right? You can't, you're not if you make a perfect copy of it. Um, yeah. And so not only did I waste a day of my life, and I say waste, I'm glad I learned that lesson. I learned it the hard yeah, way. Yeah, of course. Um, but it fundamentally made me rethink how I manipulate data in JavaScript with immutability in mind. And there are actually libraries, I think, called Immutability JS that like mm. were built exactly for this. For sure. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that was that's kind of where some of that non-JavaScript lower level knowledge has helped me kind of reflect on how I currently am working on my JavaScript TypeScript projects. Yeah, I appreciate you expanding on that and, and sharing that because that's, yeah, it's it's interesting. I feel like these things can be taught, right? Like, oh, you know, like make copies of things, right? But like yeah. understanding like why, what's yes. the purpose of that, right? Like, why and, or like how to do that, how to make right. a deep. Did you know there's no way to deep copy natively in JavaScript? Yeah, it's there's no way you can't. Yeah. If you have an array of objects, you literally cannot deep copy. There is no deep copy function. Right, right. You have to yeah. use Lodash or do the shitty yeah. thing I did, which was JSON stringify the whole array and then parse <laughs> it again. Yep. <laughs> you turn it into a string and then you yep. unstringify it. Easy. People were like, this wild. is not the best solution, Jeff. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a solution. It, it is a solution that works. That's it works. One. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I, you know, I, I really appreciate it, Jeff. I like this has been absolutely amazing. I, you know, I definitely feel like we could keep keep going and going and going yeah. and Woo. endless questions, but um, maybe another time. But yeah. uh, start to wrap some things up. But I, I have to, you know, um, uh, ask this before we kind of wrap things up. Sure. Uh, you just you just finished up wrapping this last project, right? What yeah. are you kind of working on next? Yes, I have another full stack uh, project that, that I'm very excited about. This one is called uh, Deliverables, and it okay. will be kind of the same uh, process as last time. This will be a, a high-level route uh, on our client side, and I get to build out uh, everything from back end to front end. I have some great designers that are helping me um, do the front end stuff. I have some great minds on the back end that are helping me do the back end stuff, but I uh, am moving into the testing phase. Um, I have built out uh, all the tables, migrations, uh, schemas, data structures, uh, done pretty much all the GraphQL work. Now it's uh, test, test, test. And, yeah, then, yeah. Um, and then we jump to the front end and start um, playing with all the good data that I built out. That's awesome. I, yeah. I have to ask, because I had some. I have a bunch of students who are working with GraphQL. What are you mm. testing for GraphQL right now? Uh, so we don't do a lot of testing in GraphQL. Most of our testing is going to be on a CRUD level. So we need to make sure okay. that our, yeah, our CRUD interactions uh, and our operations are doing exactly what we think uh, they are. Um, sure. Generally, the GraphQL layer is pretty highly tested and we have our project manager. Um, one of her jobs is to just get in there and try to break everything she can. So gotcha. it's not yeah. like best case scenario. Um, but sure, when you're on sure. a team of like seven, seven, eight people, it's very difficult to, to put the amount of effort into testing that you should. Sure, sure. But you uh, still yep. should. But we don't. <laughs> <laughs> i get it i get it yeah that's that's totally understandable for sure yeah, for sure yeah, yeah yeah um all right well one or two last last final questions is there um is there anything new that you want to get into over the next year or two like Oof. either in programming technology professionally yeah, yeah. so many different things but great great question i uh i actually just talked to my my boss uh, josh about this i would love Keep doing full stack stuff, learning more of the backend stuff. Uh, there's a lot of backend complexities, uh, of course, that I have, I have not gripped fully yet. Um, but building APIs, uh, I'm starting to, to get a hold of, but interacting with third-party APIs is a whole mm. different thing, right? Like we do a lot with SendGrid, we do a lot with Meltwater, we do a lot with big data providers, uh, GCP. So I would love to get more into like building code that is taking advantage of third-party APIs. I think that'd be uh, really cool. And then secondarily, get more into Kubernetes, uh, which is like mm. a container 
um, orchestration tool um, that um, a lot of people are using, and that's just kind of a hot word right now. But uh, yeah. so yeah, doing container orchestration and we're looking more at pods and clusters and how to allocate the correct amount of memory and CPU power, and you know, probably building out YAML files and shit. Ooh. Sure. Yeah. And maybe yeah. maybe like the CI kind of. CD pipeline type That'd of thing, cool. maybe some DevOps because yeah. we 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 have to do all that our, ourselves in house. So sure. maybe maybe move in that direction. Yeah. Very cool. Well, awesome. There's a lot of exciting stuff. Um, yes. I'll have to check in with you in another year or yes. whatever. We'll do this again, and yes. you'll have to share some of the new things you've been learning. So love to. Awesome. Well, um, you know, if our listeners have like any like further questions questions or just want to follow up along with the work that you're doing. Is there is there a way that they could reach out to you? Yeah, uh, if they're a Turing student, they can find me on uh, the Turing Slack channel. Um, if they're not, uh, you can get a hold of me uh, through email, my work email. It's jevf at turbinelabs.com. Jevf at turbinelabs.com. Awesome. Right on. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we don't blow up your email too much, but yeah, <laughs> well, awesome. Again, I really truly appreciate your time, Jeff and, uh, much thanks goes to our listeners as well. Uh, whether you're listening in live on YouTube or tuning in to us on anchor, Spotify, Google podcasts, uh, which are always hosted, um, shortly after the stream. I'm still working on getting a guest for next Monday, which is, of course, Memorial Day. But I'll be doing my best to line someone up at the same time as always, Monday at 4 p.m. Mountain Time. That's, again, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, but as always, thanks for listening in, y'all. Stay safe and well until next time. Later. <laughs>